This week in the Tech on Tap podcast, we talked to Keith Asin about ONTAP 9.14.1. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipark. Zipark. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have a special guest to talk to us about the latest release of ONTAP, ONTAP 9.14.1. Keith Asin is here. So Keith, what do you do at NetApp and how do we reach you? From the space above the garage of my house, Keith Asin here. I am a senior product manager on our enterprise storage BU. So that includes ONTAP as well as all the hardware. All right. So, like I said, we're talking about ONTAP 9.14.1, and we just announced it recently at the Insight Conference, and this is just to talk about the features themselves and to kind of go into more depth. So, Keith, tell me a little bit about the release and tell me how we're going to break it down. Yeah, you bet. First off, Insight was great. Hopefully, many of your listeners made it there. If not, it was super nice to see everybody in person again. Room was packed, so we did a, a one-hour deep dive on ONTAP 9.14.1. Had 173 attendees squeezed into a room. Felt like the right size for 60s. It was cozy, but it was good to see everybody wanting to hear what we're doing in the ONTAP space. 9.14.1 is an interesting release. It has a little bit of something for everybody. Sometimes we have these releases, Justin, where it's like, oh, wow, here's the one or two really big things you want to talk about, or it has a real clear theme we're focusing. ONTAP is so broad as it is, and it's really unique in the industry. It has high performance. It has massive scalability. It's targeted for high availability workloads and next generation workloads. It is super multifaceted, and I think that's getting reflected in releases like this where there's a ton of features in a bunch of different areas. But I can certainly share where we're investing in general. And I did do this. I went through all of the almost 100 feature enhancements in this release, and I sorted them. And the big three categories were data protection, tons of enhancements around better ways of protecting data, new ways of replication. We'll talk about some enhancements to SnapMirror, which is the most widely used data replication software out there. Security, certainly not taking our foot off the pedal in security. I think ONTAP is a really unique advantage for security right now, and, and we have to keep that by making sure that we continue to innovate in that space. And finally, cost optimization, right? We always joke that the, the data is not getting any smaller and nobody's budgets are getting bigger. And I don't think that's any more true than it has been now. And so being able to reduce the cost of storing data has never been more critical. Some really good enhancements in that space. So let's talk about the data protection. Let's talk about what's new in that space and we'll dive into a little bit more as we go. Let's start with one of those little things that at the surface seems pretty simple, but can be a big lifesaver. In System Manager, we added in this ability to do a DR rehearsal. And it is exactly what it sounds like, which is if I'm replicating a volume of data from one location to the other, I can now in System Manager just do a right click and initiate a DR rehearsal. And what that does is without disrupting the replication, builds a flex clone at the secondary site and suggests a mount point to connect that data out. And by doing that, it's a great way to validate that if I needed to, I could recover my data. Right? I can mount that test point and get my app developers or my app owners to connect to that and verify that, hey, if I had to recover, I could. And probably the best part of it is when you're done, you right-click and it all cleans up. These are all things that ONTAP and MINS do today already, hopefully regularly. 
But rather than having to do a mix of command line and GUI, now it's all done in a really simple to use GUI right within System Manager. And another thing about the Flex clones is it's no space taken up, right? It's backed by a snapshot. It doesn't take up space until you start to write to the Flex clone. So if you wanted to do a test where you write to the Flex clone, you certainly could, but then you blow it away and you've not used up any space. Yeah, that's a great point. We call it the DR rehearsal, but you're absolutely right. You're, you're not consuming any space and it's rewritable, which means that, yeah, it might be for a DR rehearsal, but I've also seen that used for testing an application upgrade, testing an application change, like using for test data. But you wouldn't want to do this for something that was being done regularly. Like I see people automate doing this when they're running software validation tests. But for these one-off requests where it's like, hey, I've got to upgrade this application on Friday, it's Wednesday, I maybe want to practice that or I want to do a test run. Hey, yeah, create a clone off the secondary data and you can try the test and when you're done, destroy it ahead of the actual uh, upgrade on the Friday. So yeah, flex loans are one of those things that are so powerful and maybe a bit underused by our clients, partially is product knowledge, but making it easier for them to use it. And that's what this feature really is meant for. I could see other use cases here. Like let's say you're doing maybe a data analysis in a big data scenario, right? And you've got your production data, but you want to verify that data or do training on that data. And you can split this off into a flex clone or multiple flex clones and create multiple mount points where you can train the data in parallel. And you can do all this through an automated way. It's not just a rehearsal. I feel like there's other things you can leverage here. Absolutely. A lot of it is just validation, right? And you know, periodically say, hey, I'm replicating it. How do I know what I'm replicating is actually good? Like if I was to spontaneously ask to recover that data, how do I know that data would be in a known good state? Well, let's test it, right? Let's grab the most recent replication pass and mount it up and, and see what's in there. And the best thing about this is it doesn't stop the replication schedule. You're not putting your recovery point at risk at all. That replication is still continuing behind the scenes. And so you're never jeopardizing your recovery point. If a disaster actually did happen, you can certainly tear down that Flex clone and mount the most recent replication and recover from there. So I remember Flex clone used to have an individual license you had to purchase. Is that bundled in now or is it still something you have to buy separately to actually leverage this functionality? Oh, bringing licensing up something near and dear to my heart. Yeah, nice thing is it's it's included in every bundle. That functionality is something we deemed that was so critical to, to ONTAP that, yeah, it's it's available for every system now. It's good. It's table stakes now. You have that, you have snapshots, you have all sorts of goodness that's built into the bundle without trying to gatekeep it. Yeah, exactly. And, and hopefully most people have climatized to the new bundles going forward. We standardize on really just two. So there's a base bundle and, and even that base has all protocols and snapshots and flex clones. So it's still pretty comprehensive. And then once you move to ONTAP 1, that's everything else, right? That's all your replication, your asynchronous, synchronous replication, your advanced replication like S3 replication as well as SnapMirror to cloud. A a anything that has a license key you know, is included on tap one. So now it's just those two levels. So there's not any extra little a la carte. So we have disaster recovery rehearsals. What's our next feature that helps us with disaster recovery situations? Well, why don't we shake things up and dive into one that's much more sophisticated and, and take a look at this evolution of SnapMirror. So we've had several flavors of SnapMirror, though there's one license, but you had SnapMirror asynchronous, which is by far what, what most people use, which is replicating a volume of data on a given schedule. So it replicates from point A to point B and as low as every five minutes or as infrequent as you want. Infinite distance, infinite latency, anywhere to anywhere, on-prem to the cloud wherever to wherever. 
And then we have synchronous replication, and that obviously has a lot more requirements because we're requiring that data to be replicated to the secondary site before we acknowledge it back. And there's some rules and restrictions around that. But that's still very much a one-way replication, right? Point A to point B. And then we had this idea of SnapMirror business continuity, and its current incarnation is still replicating from point A to point B, but with a layer of app awareness tied in there. So we would make sure we present available paths from both sites to the host. As far as the host was concerned, it would see that same LUN of data, both on the site where the LUN was active, as well as the site where the LUN was inactive. And in the event of some sort of an outage on the primary site, we would then make that LUN rewritable on the alternate site. So you had all these available paths, but really the, all the writes were happening on one location only. We're renaming SnapMirror Business Continuity, first off. We're renaming it to SnapMirror Active Sync, and that is much more descriptive of what it actually does. In other words, it's fully synchronous, but now it's going to be active. What we mean by active is having that LUN actually be rewritable at both locations. So if we ponder that a little bit, what, what the application server sees if it's connected to both sites is active paths to that LUN, both on the primary location and to the secondary location. And they're both active optimized, which means that app can write to either location and the LUN is actually rewritable on either location. Where it probably gets even more interesting is you may have a scenario where you have app servers on both sides and they're only connected to one site or the other. And in that scenario, it's still fully writable in both locations and ONTAP will synchronously replicate in either direction, which is pretty mind-blowing when you, when you think about it, but has some really interesting use cases. So what sort of use cases do you see customers using this for? Well, the first big one is going to be VMware. VMware has a site recovery manager, which is really meant for that asynchronous, have an active passive. And, and although it works really well, you have to do some scripting and some automation. You have to also push the button, right? Somebody has to be there to declare a disaster, initiate failover. But VMware HA is entirely autonomous. And so through VMware HA, if a host dies, VMware will recover the virtual machines that were running on that host on the surviving members of the cluster. So what SnapMirror ActiveSync allows us to do is to build a VMware HA cluster that spans sites. And what that means is if I lose vSphere hosts from one site, those VMs will automatically, autonomously pop up on the surviving site. So you get that sort of hands-off recovery. Of course, you need VMware HA also to do vMotion, to move virtual machines while they're running from one host to the other. And so having SnapMirror ActiveSync actually gives us not just disaster recovery, but also disaster avoidance. So if you have a data center outage, maybe it's power or cooling or a weather event, you could effectively evacuate your virtual machines out of one site to the other, and then rebalance them seamlessly when that site comes back up. So some really powerful flexibility, specifically from a VMware standpoint. Yeah, that sounds like a great option there for VMware. Is it able to utilize VMware cloud capabilities? Are you able to do this with a cloud instance, or is this all strictly on-prem? Strictly on-prem to begin with, and that's more of a limitation on the VMware side where you can't put vSphere hosts that are on-prem and in the cloud together in an HA group. Now, we do have one of the other things we announced at Insight, sort of out of my technical realm, but we did also announce the, the Blue XP disaster recovery adapter that does allow that failover from on-prem to the cloud or cloud to on-prem. So we have that capability, but th this one in particular is meant for on-prem to on-prem. You still need to have the two sites be within seven milliseconds of each other because any write is synchronously being replicated to the other. 
And of course, you need full control over those vSphere clusters because if you're you're defining that HA cluster. So at least that use case is on-prem to on-prem, but we do have maybe a more traditional disaster recovery tool to facilitate on-prem to the cloud and back again. So I remember with the snap mirror synchronous aspect, if it falls outside of the realm of that latency, it'll go to asynchronous. Is that what happens here or does it do something else? Well, so in the snap mirror synchronous, it can drop back to that because it, the LUN is always read only on one site and, and read right on the other. Active sync is a little bit different because the, the LUN is actually read writable on both sites. And so the behavior has to adjust a little bit differently. It still has the concept, though, of site bias. And what I mean by that is if you do run into a scenario where replication becomes difficult and even communication between the sites becomes compromised, you can still bias that LUN to make sure it remains writable on one site or the other. And that will ensure that the application remains up. It avoids communication issues or replication issues or split brain scenario where it can't tell if the other site's still there or has failed you can still apply a, a site bias to say, hey, if it all goes wonky, make sure you keep that LUN up on a given site. But we have a mediator that also keeps track of, of what's going on and helping ONTAP to determine, hey, is this a, you know, a replication issue or a communication issue? And what should I do or how should it behave? Generally, it can sustain a fair amount of, of jitter. And that's the other thing we identify is what happens if that latency spikes up a little bit. Because typically the given blocks in that LUN are only being written from one site or the other normally. So yeah, it's not quite as resilient as Snapmere Synchronous because it does have this concept of that LUN is actually writable at both locations. And there's not really a concept of which side is primary. They're both primary, right? There's no primary, secondary. They're both primary. So it's a little bit different. As I said, it's only available as a tech preview right now, but a lot more of that will be defined when it's GA and we're targeting GA in 2024. We're dealing with LUNs. Do these have to be all SAN arrays or can they be AFFs? Great question. Does not need to be all SAN arrays, but the two sides do need to be the same. In other words, I can do this between two AFFs or two ASAs, but I can't cross the streams. I can't go from an AFF to an ASA. And again, that's primarily because the pathing architecture we use is different on the two. And, and even it's the same LUN, but I can't path it differently on one side of this versus the other. And I'm guessing no FAS support here. No FAS support. We need the latency to be much lower than what FAS can do. So yeah, just AFF and ASA. And what about NAS? Is there a use case there for this or is it strictly SAN? Strictly SAN today, definitely a use case for NAS. But strictly SAN right now, we really wanted to get to this stage on the SAN. And so we decided let's rather than trying to do two things at once, let's get the SAN journey really completed to this active active. And now we can go back and look at how would we do this for a NAS world. So certainly NAS is on our wish list of things to do. We just wanted to get the SAN journey completed before we start down the path of NAS. So what else we got? Ah, well, let's shift gears a little bit. So let's hop over into security. Now, security is kind of a wide topic because it's one of the things is Everything is security, right? We have to thread security in through every activity. But one in particular that I'm a big fan of, and I'm, I'm a huge security guy, and I'm not a massive scripting guy, but I did a little PowerShell in my day. Uh, and I always found it a bit weird when I create a script. And the opening few lines of the script is where I would connect to the given cluster and authenticate. And quite often that was done in plain text, both the username and password. And that always felt a little insecure. And it certainly is insecure. So ONTAP 9.14.1 is adding full support for OAuth 2.0. OAuth 2.0 is open source authentication mechanism that's patched in or plugged into a lot of the major automation frameworks. And for us, 
Ansible is a very common framework that's used for automating ONTAP environments. And so what we've added in 9.14 is not only support for it, but right in System Manager, it's super easy to create a authentication token. So basically specify what permissions do I want this token to have? How long should the token work for? When does it need to be renewed, et cetera, et cetera? Generate the token. And then that token can be used in your automation framework to authenticate against that particular system. And as an ONTAP administrator, you still maintain full control. So if something changes, you very easily can go in and see the tokens you've handed out and change permissions or expire them, renew them, whatever it needs to be. So a great way of maintaining control of your environment and making sure you're never doing plain text username and passwords again. What if I like doing plain text passwords? <laughs> and your security guys are probably not sending you a Christmas card this year. Probably not. <laughs> if they did, it would be like encrypted anyway. So yeah, very, I can't even read this. Very angry Christmas cards. Stop yeah. doing that. Please stop doing that. Yeah. There's a ton of other little security things in there. Like I said, you just have to keep at it in a bunch of different areas. The other one that people may have been waiting for is we added in support a few versions ago for Cisco Duo for multi-factor authentication. We added it into System Manager, but it wasn't there for your SSH. So for your command line heads out there, we didn't have that, but that's being added in as well. So make sure that even your SSH connections are multi-factor authenticated and you can use Cisco Duo for that. And we have a number of other authentication frameworks, we do want to plug in for that. It's a surprising amount of work supporting an authentication framework. So we're kind of working our way through the list, but we do want to expand that list pretty quickly. So I know that with ONTAP, and when I was working with it a lot, you'd get questions every now and then, like security teams run their scanners, they detect a vulnerability, but it doesn't apply to us because reasons, right? <laughs> maybe it's proprietary or maybe it doesn't fit into whatever vulnerability is there, but we still have to address those things. So did we do anything in this release to address that? For sure. And you probably remember like the early days we identify it as a Linux system or it identify as a, a BSD system and therefore all the same. It's like, well, no, <laughs> it's not that. But yes, for example, ONTAP internally uses BY9 as our internal DNS. So we're able to maintain patching that. We made sure it was secure, but if you did a, a security scan on ONTAP system looking specifically for BY9 exposures, we would identify as a at-risk system. Now, we'd patched it, but again, you never want to appear on some vulnerability scan, right? And you have to do a bunch of hand-waving and justification. So mm -hmm. 914.1 does, we've upgraded the BIND version in there to pass those security scans. And that'll make it easier for us to upgrade that as well if there's more vulnerabilities found. So just a good thing to do. On the surface, you don't notice anything different, but rest assured, we're doing a lot of these sort of upgrades and enhancements that will just keep ONTAP that much more secure. All right. Do we have anything else for security? Nothing super shattering. Why don't we switch over to cost optimization? Because there's a couple of big ones in there that might be fun to talk about. Yeah, we'd like to help people save money there. Yeah. So how about free storage? That's always a good one. Whoa. Um, <laughs> Slow your roll there, man. Well, so a couple of interesting things. I can give our engineers all the credit in the world. They have this audacious goal that every version of ONTAP should have higher performance and better storage efficiency sort of was mind-blowing we go hey we're going to add in new features and make it faster and make it storage efficient and they do it just upgrading to newer versions of ONTAP you should always get more throughput or IO out of your system and you should always get better storage efficiencies and that's going to continue we see that going down the road and the storage efficiencies come in different flavors 
early days of ONTAP, old spinning disk days, there was a challenge. Optimized its performance by using Waffle to do large data stripes to the disks. And that's how we maintain this really fast write performance. But it only worked if we had large areas of disk to write to. And so we always were like, oh, don't fill up the system. Your performance will hurt. And so we actually would hide away some capacity in, in what we refer to as a waffle reserve to make sure that performance continued. Well, fast forward a decade or two, and ONTAP Engineering goes, hey, you know, we don't actually need these giant chunks of space anymore, right? We, we can fill up a system pretty full. and We don't need that much space to maintain that right performance. So in ONTAP 9.12.1, for any all-flash system, when it was upgraded to 9.12, you immediately got 5% more usable space back. We reduced the waffle reserve by 5%, and that yielded 5% more usable. Funny story. When I was at Insight, I had a guy come up and goes, hey, I really appreciate Insight in person, but it's been a few years. By the way, 9.12.1 caused chaos because we did an ONTAP upgrade on our production system, and full chaos ensued because suddenly it looked like we had lost 100 terabytes of data. Like we knew exactly how much data we had in that system. And all of a sudden it looked like there was 100 terabytes less. Well, turns out they didn't lose any data. Instead, we just gave them 100 terabytes more usable with this 5% reserve and all was well. So safety note, read the release notes. Make sure you know how this is going to change before doing an upgrade. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry for scaring you like that. But hey, 100 terabytes of free disk. <laughs> so uh, I guess they thought stuff got deleted or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they knew how much free space they had. Suddenly there was more. So I was like, oh no, what went away? But no, they just got more usable. Well, that's what um, they get for paying attention. Like they should just exactly. ignore it. Exactly. I have no idea how much free space I have. Yeah, that's exactly it. Serves them right for Diligent, being careful. And responsible admins. <laughs> and I could wrap my brain around that on Flash, right? Because Flash doesn't need these big, long stripes in order to optimize read-write heads. But spinning disk does, and yet still our engineers have figured out a way that say, hey, we don't actually need that much reserve, even on spinning disk systems anymore. So 914.1, if you upgrade your FAS system, you'll immediately get 5% more usable there. And there are some big FAS systems out there, right? Multi-petabyte FAS systems that this could be a lot of additional free space for them. So pretty exciting there. I imagine some of it has to do with the disk sizes themselves, right? Because, I mean, they're big enough where they can accommodate the stripes so you don't have to have so much percentage taken up. Yeah, I would think so. You're not thrashing around on little one, two terabyte drives anymore. You've got these much longer drives. And, yeah, you're sending a lot more data per transaction to them. Yeah, it's just sort of mind-blowing. That's something that gets missed a lot. People look at the storage efficiency ratios, but you have to look everything from raw to effective. And on tap still absolutely shines when you look at raw to usable. And this only makes that better by 5%, which is pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. All right. How else are we saving money? One that I know we've had a lot of people use, and, and, and I, I love when we have a feature that just works. When we talk about people go, hey, are you using this? Oh, yeah, I'm using this. How is it? It just does what it says. And, and that's fabric pool. So if you remember back in 9.8, we introduced this idea of fabric pool, which is identifying cold data blocks packaging those up, getting them off of your high-performance flash and getting them onto what we refer to as a cloud tier. Now that cloud tier is really any object store. Obviously, we'd love it to be storage grid on-prem or on-tap to on-tap. So AFF to FAS is also a really you know, great option here, but it can certainly be an object store in the cloud. And obviously, when ONTAP is running in the cloud, that's moving between two different types of storage, right? If ONTAP is running on 
direct attach flash as a CVO instance. It also means that we can package that up and send it to the blob or object store in the cloud there as well. But it's something we've had for a number of releases, super easy to manage, really effective for moving cool data off of high performance, ergo more expensive media and putting it on something that's priced right. And since we introduced it, it's tiered over an exabyte of cold data off of high performance media, which is a lot. That's a lot of flash we've avoided customers having to buy. Yeah, absolutely. And but it also gives you a way to dabble in the cloud if you're not really comfortable going directly to the cloud. And then when you're in the cloud, you can have your performance tier be on that more expensive flash storage, right? Your NVMe disks. And then you can tear off to whatever lower cost thing you've got, whether it's Azure Blob or AWS S3 or whatever. So it's a way to reduce those costs without having to do a lot of overhead and management. Absolutely. You said a super simple policy and, and off you go. And because of that, we haven't really done much with Fabric Pool last few releases, but 9.14, we saw some areas we can enhance it. So we've tweaked it a bit. We've added in some functionality. The first one is you can think of this as a form of thin provisioning or over-provisioning the flash. And so people always worry, what if I start to run out of that space in that flash? It doesn't happen that often, but maybe something has changed where you're suddenly sending a lot more data or some processes pulled some data back. Normally, Fabric Pool runs entirely in the background. It's opportunistic, right? So if I've got spare CPU cycles, I'll go look for some cold data and send that off because it's not critical. It doesn't have to happen in a really narrow window. But if I'm starting to run out of capacity and I might have an out of space condition, then things are getting pretty critical. And that point, we'll now prioritize this hunt for cold data. So if you're starting to get really tight for space, we will increase increase the prioritization of Fabric Pool and try to move some cold data off to try to avoid that out of space condition, which would be a bad situation to be in. So um, I love the fact that this will just automatically or autonomously start to do this. The other enhancement is, hey, I love this idea of Fabric Pool. Today, my data is sitting on vendor XYZ and I know most of it's cold. How do I get there without having to buy all that flash? Because normally you'd have to have enough capacity on the flash to land all of the data there if you do a migration and then let it cool. So you just kind of sit there and wait until you start to get that space back. That's not optimal. So now we have this ability to do what's called cloud write, which is really meant for migrations. If I'm migrating data in, all of the data immediately goes to that cloud tier and bypasses the hot tier altogether. And then once the migration is done, your normal programming resumes. All your hot data lands on the hot tier and things get prioritized between the two. So it's a great way to do a migration off of third-party storage into a Fabric Pool architecture without having to invest. You don't have to buy that capacity or all that flash to begin with. You can start with the 20% you probably actually only need. So you have a third-party system and you leverage the tiering to tier to an S3, and it just bypasses the hot tier. Is that right? So say you had a petabyte unstructured data, and you know that 80% of it's cold. So if I was to architect the system for ONTAP, I know that I need 200 terabytes of flash, and then I can have 800 terabytes of cold data, right? But if I want to migrate that to ONTAP, it doesn't quite work that way because I only have the 200 terabytes of flash. I need to land that petabyte of data somewhere and then wait for it to cool. So that 200 terabytes flash and 800 terabytes of object will work eventually, but but how do I get to that state? Well, I could put it into this cloud bypass mode. And as I'm migrating data onto ONTAP, 
all of that data goes directly into the cloud tier. So I drop the full petabyte into the capacity tier, leaving my 200 terabytes free on the flash. And then normal operations begin and all new rights will land on flash and things will get promoted and, and I can begin the normal ecosystem where 80% of my data is cold and 20% of it is hot. So it saves me from having to buy the full capacity in flash and I can jump right to the good part, which is the end state of, of balancing between the two. It also eliminates the need for swing gear, right? So if you're trying to do a migration and you borrow gear and you have to give it back and all that good stuff. So you just leverage the cloud and it goes right to it. So I was thinking it was going from the third-party system directly to the cloud object, but it's actually like the proxy, like the ONTAP system is a proxy. You copy it using normal means, like say an rsync or an XCP, and then it just goes right to cloud. It doesn't even stop on the hot tier. You got it exactly. It still goes into ONTAP. We just don't ever land it on media. We just package it directly up and send it to the object here immediately, leaving the metadata behind, right? Because you want that metadata there. But all the items get populated. You get the file counts and all that stuff. But the data itself just gets automatically moved. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Pretty slick, right? It is pretty slick. Sounds like it might take a while, though. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be at the time of the migration, mm-hmm. but having to worry about swing gear is a prime example. Also think about it in things like CVO. You, you know, you want to migrate something from third party into CVO, you can use this there too, right? Where you have the 20% in the flash tier and then the rest of it's in the object, but you can have that same migration where CVO would send the data blocks directly to the object tier and then CVO would, would have that automatic tiering. So it's as useful in the cloud as it is on-prem. Cool. So do we have any other Fabric Pool enhancements here that we can talk about? Yeah, yeah, one more. Now, when we we first designed Fabric Pool, we did it in mind of, hey, we have blocks on-prem and then a cold tier sitting in the cloud. And, and that certainly exists. But as we just described quite often, it's all on-prem or all in the cloud. So on-prem, on-tap to, to storage grid is super common. On-tap to on-tap is also really popular from a tiering standpoint. And then in the cloud, wherever you're running CVO is, is super popular to tier inside that cloud. And when we were thinking about on-prem to the cloud, it's super cheap to send data to the cloud, but you want to be really careful about egress. When you leave from the cloud to go back on-prem, you want to be really careful about how you do that. So Fabricquill is super unique. If you asked for a 4K block, we would just fetch you that 4K block back. And so that minimized your egress costs. But if I'm doing on-prem to on-prem, where I'm in the cloud, doing cloud to cloud, there's no egress costs. So we can be a lot more opportunistic about fetching data back. In other words, if I ask for a portion of a file, let's pull that whole file back. This is a pretty good chance that you're going to ask the rest of that file. If I have written a bunch of files, you know, time proximity of each other, and I ask for one of them back, maybe we should pull those other ones back as well, because there's a good chance if you wrote them together, you might read them together. So we use a lot of those algorithms now to improve the performance, and it's pretty drastic. We're looking at a 500% improvement on single file performance, as much as 85% on a multi-file read performance. So pretty potent. You do need to pick that mode as you set up your fabric pool. If you're staying on-prem or you're staying in the cloud to the same cloud, you, you want to pick this optimized mode. And you can change after the fact. If you're already staying on-prem, this is a tweak you can make in 9.14 and just improve your read performance. The, the irony is I haven't really had too many people complain about read performance because usually that data, when it gets cold, it just stays cold. But this is a good peace of mind that if you do need some of that cold data back, it just works that much better. Well, it also kind of opens it up to more people because I think some of the concern is the read performance doing this type of work. So if you want to be able to tear things off, but you don't want it to be slow when it comes back, 
this might entice you to actually leverage it because now that read performance is not as big of a problem as it was. And you might say, oh, okay, this can work for certain use cases. If I do like a monthly report, I don't have to wait so long for that data to come back. It'll be smart enough to pull stuff back a lot faster. That's it entirely. And certain customers, like customers that are working in the media, where they have these large texture files or these large images that have been rendered that get used in a movie or in a game and they go cold. And so you want to get that off of the high performance media because you don't need it to be high performance anymore, but you want to keep it there. And now if somebody touches a part of one of those files, we'll fetch the whole file back and it will drastically reduce that time to rewarm that if they suddenly need that texture file or that bitmap or that image again. So it's going to be ideal. Those customers are already using Fabric Pool to a tremendous success and this only makes it that much better for them. Yeah, and it's basically treating those files more like objects because that's kind of how an object store works anyway. You're not fetching parts of files, you're getting the entire file. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just making ONTAP more aware of its deployment. Oh, I'm on an on-prem only deployment and therefore I'm going to handle data this way. And I'm actually aware that I'm on-prem but sending data to the cloud. And so I know how to optimize my behavior to minimize customers' costs in that scenario. So making ONTAP really much more self-aware of how it's deployed is it's pretty cool and pretty crazy when you think about it. Can you customize it at a granular level? Like maybe I don't want to bring an entire group of files over. Maybe I just want to do this, the, the single file bringing it over, or is that just something that's just baked into the, the entire thing? Right now it's just baked in. God, Justin, you want all the nerd knobs, don't you? I like nerd knobs, <laughs> which is funny because I'm over in the land of no nerd knobs. I'm over in yeah. the cloud group, right? No nerd knobs allowed. <laughs> no, we've tried to keep this pretty simple, right? So try to just have it as a toggle switch. No nerd knobs, but we have some toggle switches. All right, cool. So that's the Fabric Pool feature functionality. Any other cost optimization benefits that we see here? Those are like the big ones. Now, I, I see we're getting tight on time. I'll, I'll throw some teasers. We got some big things planned around cost optimization. So definitely looking forward to hopefully getting invited back again in a couple months time <laughs> maybe early spring may time frame would be a good time just to talk about storage efficiencies because we got some cool things planned uh in that space so yeah absolutely uh, stay tuned there well if i want to find more information about the latest release of ONTAP, where would i do that I would say netapp.tv is a great one for all kinds of details and, and a lot of the different deep dive sessions are posted up on netapp.tv, the YouTube channel, join Discord. The guys have got me hanging on Discord. There's a, a NetApp channel on Discord. And uh, if you have questions, I uh, try to lurk there to help the guys out. Otherwise, you can always shoot me an email. Uh, it's pretty easy. It's keitha at netapp.com. Always happy to hear from folks on that. All right. Awesome. And your insight session, is that available for viewing now? Maybe by the time we post this, it might be. I know it was recorded, but I haven't seen it uh, posted just yet. I, I think because 914.1 is just being uploaded as we speak. So uh, hopefully shortly after that's posted, the insight sessions will be up. All right, cool. Well, if it comes out between now and the time we publish this, we'll go ahead and add that to the blog. That was fantastic. The power of doing things in the future. That's right. Time machine. <laughs> all right. Well, Keith, thanks again for joining us and talking to us all about the latest release of ONTAP, ONTAP 9.14.1. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. 
As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Keith Asin for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.